Hey, real quick, a quick word of thanks to today's sponsor, Vertex Innovations, before we get started. For over 17 years, Vertex has been building the nation's wireless and broadband networks. Providing project management, network engineering, and construction oversight are just some of the ways Vertex helps their clients. So if you're looking for more of a partner to help you with your wireless network designs, construction, implementation, or operations, reach out to Vertex. You can find them at vertex-us.com. That's V-E-R-T-E-X-U-S.com. Welcome to the 5G Guys Podcast, the premier resource for industry insiders and newcomers alike to explore anything and everything wireless telecommunication. We discuss, explain, and explore all things wireless technology. So let's dive right in. Welcome your host, Dan McVaugh and Wayne Smith. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the 5G Guys. I'm Wayne Smith, and I'm joined always by my co-host, Dan McBall. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back. Before we dive into this episode, just want to remind everybody to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Give us some stars if you feel like that's the right thing to do. And uh, as always, go to 5GGuys.com, and you can connect with us uh, in other ways as well. So, Today, we're excited to have joining us Dr. Cheryl Ziegler. Dr. Ziegler is uh, the founding manager and director of the Child and Family Therapy Center at Lowry. She holds a doctorate in psychology and is a licensed professional counselor in Colorado. She is a member of the American Psychological Association and the Colorado Association for Play Therapy. She also sits on numerous boards, including Mount St. Vincent Home for Children, SCL Health, Tennyson Center for Children, and Bright by Three. And if that's not enough, she's also a Girl Scout leader and coaches girls on the run and advocates for children. She's the author of a best-selling book called Mommy Burnout, How to Reclaim Your Life and Raise Healthier Children in the Process, which won the International Latino Parenting Book of the Year Award. She's been a TEDx speaker. She's been on the Today Show. She writes for the Today Show. So it's just amazing your list of stuff you've worked on, Cheryl. So thanks for joining us, and, and we really appreciate it. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Perfect. So digital citizenship is a passion of yours. We'd love for you to jump into that subject and, and take us down You know what that means to you and to our listeners. Yeah, it's a great question. So I, the way I really dove into digital citizenship was, it, of course, is always on my mind how to educate kids around just being safe online, all these things. And I was on a marketing, I was at a marketing conference actually, and Google was a sponsor. And they had this whole cool immersive experience set up where they kind of showed you how to teach kids digital citizenship. And they had a very cool way of making it actual, not just virtual. It wasn't there were no computers there at all. It was all like different kind of cards, different kind of toys, even. And from that point on, I thought. I want to do this. I want to actually start teaching this. I think kids need it. So to be a good digital citizen is the notion of just like, it's almost like building good character online. So if you talk to your kids about how to be a good friend, it's just the equivalent of how to be a good person, good friend, good student online. And so I love it because there are so many different modules. And with any program, I use things from Common Sense Media which I really like their curriculum as well. I use stuff from Google and I use things from Microsoft. So those are three really big names that have programs that are free 
and they're available. A lot of times they'll look like they're kind of for teachers, which it would be great if schools actually made time for this curriculum. And I think they should, but they have it starting in second grade. So from second grade all the way through high school, age-appropriate ways to teach kids, just things like how to set a password, what information that is okay to give online, what information is not okay to give online. And it you can't do this stuff enough. Like my daughter, who's 13, I said to her something about her password and she just started laughing and was like, oh yeah, well, I gave it just to my best friend. I'm like, nope, we don't even give it to our best friend. And that's at 13. You know, I still have to remind them. So kids need reminders because otherwise... It is a digital world, so it seems abstract. But in the real world, we have to teach them those things. Why wouldn't you put your social security number? Why wouldn't you put your home address on things? So that's for younger kids. And of course, moving all the way up to the number one form of bullying, which is cyberbullying. You know, what is to what is it like to bully somebody? What you put in a group chat stays in a group chat. That is not nothing is confidential. Those kinds of things are things that adolescents need those reminders of. So that's how I got into it. I'm really passionate about it. And I've actually taught these classes. I don't do it a ton because it could be a full-time job, but I do really want to advocate. I think it should be something that all all kids are learning. Yeah, great. I mean, myself, I kinda, I have some personal experience around the cyberbullying part of it. We experienced some, you know, just odd behavior through one of the apps. I think it started harmlessly enough on Roblox, which is a game, but it has a chat platform. And before you know it, it moved on over to Snapchat and some really nasty, hurtful things were said. And I don't think any of the girls, if they would have been, you know, in in front of each other would have ever said that. And so it's definitely a subject that I think all schools should do. I agree with you. It is something that a, a curriculum that how do you teach the basis of online, whether it's on your mobile or, you know, on your computer, I mean, how to act as citizens. So. Yeah, absolutely. I'll give you a good example of, of the way that they teach some of the kids like in elementary school, how to do some of this stuff. So we say to them, think of yourself as at the airport and your whole family is getting ready to go to the airplane. And, you know, you know, I try to make it interactive. So I'll say, where are we flying to? So one of the last times they said, Kenya, okay, we're flying to Kenya. So we're going, going, but all of a sudden you looked over and London looked really interesting. Your whole family's walking this way to Kenya. You decide you're going this way to London. What's going to happen, right? So these are things that they can relate to. Oh, that's funny. Well, I would miss the flight and then I wouldn't be with my family. Right. That's what happens when we take detours online. You're there to play Roblox. And I noticed it too. All of a sudden I thought this was really innocent, right? And then all of a sudden I see in the top left corner that chat was going and the things that were being written in the chat were, there were curse words, there were sexualized innuendos, right? And my kid at the time was 11. I think she didn't really get it, but I said to her, you're not allowed to have this chat on anymore, so close it. And then I'm glad that she got through the phase, but kids love Roblox, but that's a really great example. Right now, there are parents listening thinking, Roblox is great, and you know it's not violent, and so they're really happy about it, but they have to realize that all of these games have a social component to it. And that's where we start taking the detour. Wow. Amazing. You know, what comes to mind for you, you you said something that sticks out, I think for a lot of parents is how do you discipline, you know, the first reaction as a parent today is, oh, the phone's bad or the software's bad. And, you know, I think when I went out and asked, you know, different folks what they thought about it, it's the first thing they said, like, well, we took the phone away. 
And we may not, you know, our lives were different because we grew up in a time where we didn't have phones. But our children have grew up, you know, grown up now in a place where their whole life revolved, revolved around technology. So do you have any, you know, insights for us around that part of the discipline? Because it's the first response is you lost roadblocks. And with that, you lost all your friends and the connection. And then guess what comes next? Boredom. So, you know, can you help us with that a little bit? I think the listeners would love that. Yeah, absolutely. The first thing I'll say is it's something about the last thing you just said, which is boredom. Boredom is the best thing that can ever happen to kids. It is where creativity happens. It is where ideas are born. We want bored kids. We think we don't want bored kids. We're scared of what they'll do or they'll just bug us and annoy us. Right. But the first thing I'll say is you need to create time to be bored. I mean, I, I, I walk my walk like yesterday I was at a soccer game and the youngest kid who's not playing is like pulling on me. And he said, I'm bored. And so, you know, there's a couple of parents I was talking to and they're looking at me like, what is she going to do? And I looked at him and I was like, really? How awesome is that? Because look up at the sky right now. There's an airplane in the sky. Where do you think they're going? And then all of a sudden, before I know it, I'm like, just lay on your back, stare at the sky and see what happens. Right. And he did it. He did do it. And so I just take it as like a cool, this is great. This is a great opportunity. But in terms of disciplining with technology, I think that one of the first mistakes parents are making is making it seem like technology and the phone and Snapchat is the enemy. Even if you're scared of it, it comes out of fear, right? So get in touch with your fear. Even if you're scared, even if you're worried about what this is all going to mean for your kid, it is their world and it is a different world than we experience. So you have to be open to it. You have to be embracing of it. It was probably like when malls were created. I'm sure parents are like, I don't know, do I want my kid like walking around some mall all the time? Like, Just think about what that was like for them. When television came out, people thought absolutely, or remember MTV. When MTV came out, parents thought this was the end of the world. This was going to be the end of civilized kids. Like there's always going to be things in history and I'm very interested in that. I'm always interested in the historical perspective of parenting because there's always going to be a new challenge right now for this generation. Our challenge is we don't know what to do and how to manage this technology. So I would just say, number one, they need to really embrace this technology. They need to understand that it is the connection to the world. It is where they take pictures. It's where they listen to music. It's where they connect with others. It's where they have some downtime. It's where they do homework sometimes. Like, you know, if you think about, you know, a lot of life management happens on a phone. So that's number one. I think number two is this is all about balance, digital balance, digital wellness. Those are two terms that I think most parents need to get very familiar with. So it's all about balance. It's just like sugar, right? We all crave it and want a little bit of sugar, which is usually totally fine. If you have too much of it, you get a stomachache, right? You, and you get, go beyond that, you might vomit and not sleep well that night. It's kind of like Halloween every day or something. So just think of it as like, okay, we're going to start off your digital life with a contract. I'm a huge fan of having contracts and stating it really clearly. Like I had to say to my daughter last week, she, somebody sent her a screenshot of something somebody else did on TikTok and she reshared it. I got the contract out and I was like, right here, you signed off that you would never reshare somebody else's business story picture. You violated the contract. So I'm going to have you take a break for the rest of the night. Just hand your phone in early. I, I wasn't crazy over the top about it. It was already like six o'clock. It wasn't, it was like two hours earlier. 
hand me the phone. And I really want you to think about this because you violated this contract. And she was like, I didn't think of it that way, but I didn't say anything bad. I just, I'm like, you shared somebody else's story and that's not okay. Right. And that's just the way I think to handle it. I caught it early that it wasn't, it actually wasn't a huge deal. It wasn't like something highly violating. It was slight enough though. It was just a, it was just a violation. It was like, I've told her, I don't care if I send you a screenshot, you're not allowed to take my screenshot and share it with anybody else. End of story. Unless the person explicitly says you can, but in that case, they probably should send it themselves. Like, so like I said, if you go back to like even common sense media, there are simple contracts all over the internet. Read it, make your own, make some edits. And then in there, in my contract, I said that we're going to review it every three months. You can do it every month. You can do it every week, however you want to. Basically, it's just a reminder that this is a one and done. As she gets older, as your kids get older, right? There's some kids who have phones at 10 years old. What you're going to do at 10 is different than 12 and 14. So I think if parents can set themselves up to think this is, there's a contract, there's some rules around it. And if they can hold themselves to that accountability, things go so much smoother. It's when basically they get a phone and there's no parameters and you're just winging it. That's where things really go awry. Interesting. So it sounds like, are you advocating for the parent to join the apps like TikTok and Snapchat and the ones that you normally may not use in your business life that you should be on there with your kids on their account, making sure you know what's going on? I do. I mean, and I, I will even roll into the next part, which even gets harder, more controversial, which is should you look through your kid's phone? But first and foremost, I think you should follow your child. And I know because I work with teenagers every week, they make lots of what they call spam accounts, right? So that it's like everybody has a Finsta and you're not really going to know everything. But if you're following that account, you'll be able to tell, hmm, I see them doing a lot of TikToks, but there aren't a lot posted here. I think they might have another account, right? You have to get a little bit savvy. But the other thing that I've done and it's worked well for me is I like to advise people to have family members join too. Oh, grandma and grandpa and aunts and uncles and cousins, because it's reasonable that they'd say, oh, you got a phone now. I want to follow you. But it's also another set of eyes. Somebody might contact me and say, I don't know. That was a little suspect what she was tagged in or whatever. I might have missed it. I might not have seen it. So I also like to you know, engage the community. It's not like friends of friends that gets a little stickier, but family, other trusted people in their lives that it's not weird that they would follow them. Because you need as many eyes as possible on them. I would say part B of what I alluded to, which is, I will say, I, I find to be quite controversial, is should you look through your kid's phone? So I'm going to tell you how I advise families. I truly make a living doing this. I always tell people I, I could reduce my caseload in half if a couple different things happen. And one of them is if social media didn't exist, we would have, be talking about lots of other things. But we're constantly talking about social media and technology. I say a kid should think that at any given time, you can look through their phone. Any given time. You need their passwords. That's another thing. I caught my daughter. Two nights ago, I went to go look through her phone. I probably do it once a week. And she had changed the password. And you know what? I didn't have that in my contract. I did not explicitly say. It said, I need to know all your passwords. So I guess it was. But it didn't explicitly say like, and if you change your password, you need to notify me. So I looked at her and I'm like, you did something a little sneaky, a little suspect. You changed your password without me knowing. And she's like, oh, I just changed it because her younger brother gets in her phone. Maybe, maybe that's true. 
maybe she was trying to get around us too, you know? So I was just like, give it to me now. So I will say, I think as a parent, when you give your child that phone, all of a sudden it's your new responsibility to check it. And just the the notion that you could check it, their text messages, those kinds of things can be helpful to kids. It's just that extra little thought of, if I got caught, would this be okay? It should be the little extra bit of consciousness for them that maybe I shouldn't do this because somebody could read this. And if you have that gut feeling, I say, I say to kids, if you have that gut feeling inside of you that you wouldn't want your parents to read it, then don't put it in writing. So make things that just seem really hard, just make them straight up, you know, clear to them. So here's one thing that comes up for us that we've done. I think a lot of parents try to do it was screen time. You know, how do you judge screen time and how do you get to a point where, you know, we have so many debates around screen time, right? And I think life would be better for us if we weren't talking about an extra 15 minutes, you know, every time. So, I mean, that's one of the tools that I think Apple and those companies put in place to help parents, but then it becomes this over, we're just wrapped up around screen time all the time. Yes. You know, I think when it comes to the screen time battles, it's they're pushing boundaries just the way kids naturally do. It's another way for them to push boundaries. And I don't have a lot of tolerance for that. If we agree to something, then we just agree to it. And if you choose to debate me on this, think of it as like your one pass for the week. This is not a daily occurrence. If we say it's two hours, it's two hours. You know, once in a while, if you want to debate with me why you need a little bit more time, like maybe, oh, the Wi-Fi was out for a little bit or, you know, it's usually not really about a movie. That's a lot more. That's easy now, right? Movies seem easy. There's a start and end. YouTube is the culprit of this. It's like one video rolls into the next, rolls into the next, and I come in and I'm like 15 more minutes, but wait, this has 24 more minutes. Sorry, bud. I'm here to give you a warning. You're going to have to then make a decision right now. Do you want to stop it now? You know, or do you want to carry it over? So I'm actually using the tone that I use with my own kids and I model this with other parents that I work with because I think if our tone says, oh, maybe there's a little room for negotiation, oh, they're going to snowplow through that. So I think that if you are, as a parent, it takes a lot of discipline, but able to say, here's what we have. Life is not always black and white, right? Not everything is always so exact, but here's what we've agreed to. We've agreed that, you know, whatever it's going to be, you get X amount of screen time a day and you have some basis for that too. I personally like to use like some of the screen time guidelines from the American Academy of Pediatrics. I think it just gives me some authority figure that I can say, you know, this is what they say 12 year olds should be doing. This is what's recommended for this. Or I always say though, there's exceptions. Like I do have you know, I have three kids and they have three different personalities and I can tell, you know, who's more prone to addiction. I could just see it, right? I just, it's very obvious. So then I'll say things with compassion as opposed to being annoyed. I'll say things like my middle, it's my middle son. I'll say to him, buddy, I love you too much to allow you to go down this place where when, when I tell you it's time, you're going to get irritable with me. You're not going to want to go outside and play. I see these things happening. Like, and trust me, it doesn't work the first, second or third time. It's a constant message I have. And then I feel like, you know, I've been rewarded. Like last week he said to me, Hey, have you noticed I don't play? What was he playing? Fortnite. 
I don't play Fortnite anymore. And Fortnite has been a battle for us since December. So I would say, so right now it's May. So from like December to May, it's been like the dread of Fortnite. And I said, oh, so I acted really pretty calm about it. I was like, you're right. I guess I hadn't noticed the last week you haven't played at all. And he said, yeah, I'm just over it. And I thought, oh, thank God. Right. But I didn't even make that seem too big of a deal because I don't want them to get a big reaction out of me on anything. I said, great. And how did you decide that? And it had nothing to do with my parenting. He said, oh, me and my friends just decided we don't want to play it anymore. Great. Right. So I think just watching our reactions to it, are we willing to make the commitment to be disciplined? Because it takes a lot of discipline on our part. Are we willing to have a tone of voice that says, this is boundary pushing and I'm feeling uncomfortable? I'm feeling disrespected right now. I set a rule and now it's every day you're trying to push it. Once in a while, I get it. But every day, that that feels disrespectful to me. Maybe you're questioning my decision-making. Like these are, I'm just role-playing out like things that I would literally say back to a child to let them know that it's not just that you're annoyed that they're asking and they're being annoying. It really is true. I've set a boundary. It's kind of like if you have to go to work at 9 a.m., like you got to be there by ready to work by 9 if you're late every day and you're telling your boss, I got to, you know, can I just have 15 more minutes? Oh, I'm running a few minutes late. Once in a while, it's okay. Every day, that's not okay. Yeah. And, and you know, I've kind of come to the other side of realizing the silver lining in all of this as well. Like, you know, the technology has allowed my family to be more connected. Like, it's a, it's a conduit for me to relate with my kids in ways that I, I wouldn't be able to otherwise. If, if they were out hanging out at Sonic on a Friday night, I have no way to be connected to that. I have no way to to contribute to that part of their life. Whereas now with technology, we have that connection. You know, we have things that are great for safety, right? We have, you know, my family on our iPhones, we can all see where each other's at in the event one of us is like, where's, where's dad at? He said he was supposed to be home for dinner an hour ago. And, you know, so there's there's all the positive sides of it as well that I think we tend to to gravitate towards the challenges and the negatives and not recognize that it's just another tool in the toolbox of life if we if we think of it the right way. I, I really agree. I think that's a really great point. There are so many positives. If there weren't, we wouldn't all be addicted to it too. We wouldn't all have our relationships, right? So there's nothing like me sitting here and I can look at my phone and my friend from New Jersey just sent me a text that said, you know, love you, hope you have a great weekend. Like, how great is that? You know, I think that we do focus on the negatives because we're just scared. We're we're scared of cyberbullying. We're scared of sexualized photos. We're scared of the strange guy who's pretending to be a 14-year-old girl. Like, you know, we have all those scary thoughts in our minds. But I think if we do come from a really genuine place and say, I'm so happy for you that you get to play these games, especially during this pandemic. Look how many kids, if technology was the only way people were connected. You know, to be able to say, you can FaceTime with somebody in Australia right now. You can play a game with somebody in Switzerland right now. Like, it's just amazing, you know, or you can literally text your next door neighbor, whatever it might be. You can share your location, all of that. I think the scary part that will get, when we get through the scary, the fear that we have and get us to a place of appreciation is when we figure out how to manage it. We just don't know when I say we parents, we're, we're just uncertain how to manage it. And because of that, and because it's truly addicting. So it's, it really is a matter of like, you know, like a bin of drugs or something you're trying to keep your kids from. So all of that dominates the positives that come out of it. But I think, 
again, like really just thinking about educating your child. I mean, if your school does not have you know, a curriculum, you could just do it yourself. You could truly print out worksheets, just do it yourself. It's, it's made so easy to do. It's done by grade. It's done by age. You could just print off a worksheet. You could do it yourself. You could create contracts. You could, one of the biggest tips I have for parents is when your kid says, come watch this YouTube video as much as you don't want to do it right? It's a great way to connect with them. Like I get tired of watching YouTube videos, but my son will be like, look at what this magician can do. Look at this cool BMX trick. Look at, and so I invest the time, which is truly everything's short in the world. So it's two minutes usually, right? I invest the two minutes, although sometimes I don't want to because we just had a bonding moment. And essentially they're saying, look into my world. And they're inviting you. A lot of times they're inviting us and we're not accepting the invitation. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and you touched on it too. Our kids are paying more attention to what we're doing than listening to what we say. And if we don't model good behavior with technology, and if we don't point out the right ways and the best ways to have technology help us in our lives, they're going to, they're just going to follow our bad traits as well. Right. Oh my gosh, I can't tell you how many kids will say, if for some reason, it's particularly to dads, how many kids will say, yeah, dad, you have nothing to talk about. At dinner time, you're always emailing people. You have your phone at the table. Wonder, oh, this is another big one. Dads, you're like texting while driving me to school. You're always on your phone. Like, I mean, they will call their parents out. And that is 100% true. Now they're even getting to the point where they're calling out parents who don't text while driving, but who at every stoplight look at their phone. They're like, at every stoplight, you're looking at your phone, right? So now they're they're empowered with this information, like you're addicted too. <laughs> and so I agree, We mo- everything we do is a model for them. Everything we do from our behavior and our relationship with technology, from the way we speak to our partners, you know, from the way that we drive, ev- everything is a model for them, how we treat other people, how we talk about big issues in life. When, even when they don't acknowledge it always. So yeah, I think it's really huge. This is a hard one. This isn't, this is, could be its own topic because I think adults sometimes do feel entitled to be the way they are. Well, I'm an adult. I'm fine. I have to work. This is for work. This is for our family. We come up with a lot of really good excuses and then we have little tolerance for their excuses. So it is a good moment to self-reflect. Yeah. I, you know where that really hit me with my kids. My kids are older now, but as they became of driving age, and I'm, my wife and I are trying to teach them about the dangers of drinking and driving. But then we go out on a family dinner and I have a beer at dinner and then drive us home. Yep. How is that look, right? That's, that's horrible modeling. So I think what we think about with regard to what we're talking about right now with phones and technology, it actually applies to everything in our lives. It's just that the technology is so present that it seems to be where we gravitate our thinking around these practices, right? Absolutely. And I love that example you just gave. I mean, that's relatable to 99% of people. Yeah, don't drink and drive. But yeah, I mean, I can drink and drive though, because it's just one drink. And plus I had a meal, right? And even though maybe without your kids, you may still make that decision, you know, with them, they are looking and they're going to be at a party once and be like, well, I think it's okay to have one because that's what my parents do. And maybe even two because that's what my parents do. So I think that's a really good point. And I do actually know some families that start to change those kinds of patterns when they get teenagers. 
they start feeling like, oh, it's real. This stuff is like, it's on, it's real, the dangers. And so they, you know, I've had parents say to me, like, I don't even really drink too much at home anymore, or I don't keep, you know, alcohol in the house as much anymore, just different kinds of things. They become more aware because all of a sudden when you have a teenager, it's real, but you know, you want to start these habits when they're young, because changing something abruptly when your kid's 14 it might be memorable to them, but they still had all those other years of experience of watching a certain way. So, you know, I think whenever you have the realization, it's great, but you know, don't, don't wait till they're already engaging in high risk behaviors to start being self-reflective. Can we, can we flip things a little bit? I want to ask you a question around, as, you know, Wayne and I are representative of the industry of technologists that are deploying and building these networks that enable everything we've been talking about today. What questions would you have for us or which guidance would you have for us as it relates to being responsible about how we develop technology or things that maybe were unintended consequences we're not aware of that you see out there from your perspective as a, as a therapist, as someone that's in tune with families and children? Yeah, that's a really great question. So I think that, you know, I, I love thinking about unintended consequences because it happens with everything it's happened. You know, we're in a mental health, complete and total global crisis, right? And that's an unintended consequence of a virus, let's say. And so unintended consequences are often pretty huge and they don't, and they usually indicate we don't know they're coming. I think with technology, what I would say is, okay, we've, we now have had a technology. We now have had full generations, right? Gen Z that doesn't know life without at all, without technology and we know what some of the negatives have been. And it's a, a lot around the reward circuit in our brains. So can you create technology that allows for prompts or breaks or has to have a human component so that we stay balanced? You know, that's the one thing like, and, and I have felt too, is just, especially right now, while many of us are still working from home predominantly, there's no sense of take a break. There's no sense of pause. And so I just wonder whether it's you create the technology and then you translate it to the customer on how they're going to use it in their industry, let's say, how can you build in the, well, our recommended time would be X amount of time. And then we would recommend 15 minutes. Like, I think those things would go a long way, like guidelines around, you know, just structuring our days around utilizing the technology, I guess, like a user manual in a sense just that really prompts breaks and and then the need for team collaboration or something which for me equals just human interaction. Yeah. Yeah, I think a, a good technology's kind of moving that way. I noticed in my new truck, I have a 2020 Ford that now it reminds me, "Hey, you've been driving for a while. You need to take a break from driving." Oh, wow. And they so they're starting to show up on, you know, on the dash flashing, "Hey, you've been driving for 4 hours. Take a break." So I love that. I'm starting to see in some technology that they're embracing the downtime, the 15 minutes and the break. Point, Wayne. Like uh, there is a lot of technology out there that people don't know about that's opt-in technology. We should think more about it being opt-out. For example, you can put an app on your kid's phone on your phone that disables making calls or texting while it's moving. Your phone knows it's moving above, you know, some certain speed. It knows you're driving. How many times does your phone tell you? oh, hey, I noticed you're on the way to work. It's going to take you 15 minutes because traffic is light. Your phone knows you're driving. Why don't it where you have to opt out of your phone saying, hey, I just I went ahead and disabled texting for you because I know you're driving. Yeah, I love that. 
an interesting app. So have you guys heard of Light360? Yeah. So yes, Light- I've heard of it, but I haven't used it. So we, we thought as parents, we're going to put this on here. We're going to know everything. But then it was really intrusive. You know, they sell your data and they, it tracks your speed, Dan, where you've been. All of this data comes to you everywhere. So anyway, we took it off. And then I found out a couple of weeks ago, the teenagers put it back on. The following of their peers and knowing where they are is, is a phenomenon that's coming from the Snap Map and these other things. And it's crazy. We're like, what? You put Light360 back on there and you didn't tell us? We thought it was the most overreaching parenting control we ever done. And when I had it on my phone, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I went I sped this week seven times. So I did not like it. But now they're using it themselves without even our direction to understand. So it's crazy how technology works that way. Yeah. Well, and I think I think that is a really interesting point, but I also think it shows like how desensitized this generation is to data mining and selling information. And they're just like, that's par for the course. And I think we're like, whoa, hold up. I'm not comfortable with that. It's another big generational difference. Oh, all of us. My favorite saying is, if you have something that you're not paying for, you are the product. Yes. Wow. I tell my kids that too. I don't. I know they don't get it yet, but I'll just keep saying it anyway. There was a thing that you you know you talked about about embrace technology and how it's connecting the world. I love that that reference to what we've built as infrastructure builders. Because you know when people ask me, "Hey Wayne, give me your elevator pitch," I'd like to say that my whole career has been about connecting our generation and the generations above me, not going out building cell towers and putting fiber and data centers and all that stuff. (laughs) No one knows. So that was a really interesting piece. I think it'd be a great way to, you know, to hear your view on embrace technology and where is it taking us as a culture, as a society and that side of it. Yeah. I mean, I think technology has been, central to our advancement, to our understanding other cultures, what's happening elsewhere, being connected with loved ones. You know, anything you want to know is at your fingertips. Like I still can't get over it. I, I, it's not like I'm unappreciative of it. I think that it's amazing what technology has done for us. It's just happened so quickly, at least as just like a layman consumer, it feels really quick. And things change over, you know, what is cool one day might not be cool the next month. So it's, it's, I think a challenge to keep up with the technology and all of the features. Like I'm sure there's so many things, probably less than 1% of, you know, functions that the average parent knows to utilize. We know very basic things and it, I think it's intimidating. So I think when we stop and think about technologies, I mean, th- during the pandemic kept our economy alive. I mean, it it opened up opportunities for schools to still continue to teach kids. And even though there were some unintended consequences of that, you still got to be taught though, because of technology. I still got to see my patients because of technology. We did it on video. You know, there's some amazing things. I think it's just intimidating to keep up with it. And so that would probably be, I think if I'm talking to some tech guys, I would just say, you know, how we can, how can you keep building at this rate and and developing at this rate and have the masses be able to follow you and learn because we can't keep up with your rate, but, but I can't, you know, the average person just can't keep up almost at all. Yeah. 
Well, and, and then the other thing that we have to recognize being on the technology side is there's a portion of our society that we're leaving behind right now. There's whether it's socioeconomic or geographic digital divides. So there's a lot of kids during the pandemic that were not connected. They're still not connected. They're being left behind by their peers, not just practically in terms of not being able to attend Zoom class or look up research for that paper. But I'm curious to hear, have you seen that happen with kids that you're, you're that, you know, all the other kids have a phone. My mom and dad can't afford for me to have a phone. And now I feel left behind. Like, do you see some of that as well? I do see like on my end, some of that maybe less in terms of phone, but more because it's interesting. Even people with low SES seem to find phones, you know, they seem to value that phone piece, but it's the laptops and the iPads that I see the divide. One of the things I think that, you know, when we can be so down sometimes on like public education systems, but it seems like one of the things that became all of a sudden a huge priority, which was a good thing was, first of all, we did realize that how many kids just did not have Wi-Fi in their houses. And second of all, I, I love that these public and private school options are providing technology for their students. And that seems to be leveling the playing field. And, you know, right now as school is ending, they're letting the kids take the technology home for the summer. They've never done that before. Usually that stays at school, you know, but they keep, keep learning over the summer. I mean, we've got to, you know, try to catch up with all that was lost. So I feel like even those kinds of shifts are huge. And I think the buying power will get more powerful when they start thinking we have to have a device for every single kid at this school. So I think that's what I see is that actually public schools are the ones that are coming into play. And the other thing I really want to give kudos to are library systems. I know maybe not everywhere in the, in the country, but certainly in Colorado and some other progressive states, you know, the library is becoming just a digital media center. And you can rent out laptops, I don't know about iPads, but like laptops and like Kindle Fires and those kinds of things there. And so I think that's getting really exciting too, to see something that seems maybe antiquated, like a library or library sciences really become digital media centers. It's really exciting. Well, great. I mean, thanks for joining us. It's and reminding, you know, about the, the unintended consequences of the technology and the benefits of it. Um, tell our listeners how they can connect with you and find you uh, online. Yeah, absolutely. Everything or most things that I do are available on my website, which is drcherylziegler.com. And I'm also the host of a podcast that addresses parenting and mental health. And that's Dr. Cheryl's Podcouch, available everywhere where podcasts are listened to. Awesome. Well, thanks, Dr. Cheryl. You, you've been a, a great uh, resource for us, and it's been great to to, to dive into the health and safety of technology. So thanks to everyone for listening. Just want to remind everyone once again to hit the subscribe button, give us your feedback, go to 5gguys.com, ask any questions, let us know if you had any follow-up or items for uh, future episodes. So with that, everyone take care and be well. Thanks for listening to the 5G Guys. For more resources and to connect with Dan and Wayne, check out their website at 5gguys.com. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit that follow button and share this episode with your friends and family. 